Now for agribusiness news, markets, and weather from Studio C, this is Agriculture Today. And the young people here today, the responsibility and the obligation isn't just mine. It isn't just the undersecretaries or the administrators. It's yours. That's why you're here, because we want you to take up that responsibility. We want you to understand the magnitude and the, and the significance of the opportunity. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack rolling out the new Census of Agriculture, part of USDA's Ag Outlook Forum. But I sincerely hope uh, that we take this information very seriously and that we understand that it need not be that every five years we report fewer farms and less farmland. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Ag News Now. Agriculture Today. This is the 30th time the Department of Agriculture has issued uh, its survey. Speaking at USDA's Ag Outlook Forum, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack on the census of ag. And it does indeed require a tremendous amount of work. Uh, It requires a, a, a design of the survey itself. And you can tell from the size of the survey, there is a lot of information that's requested. Uh, it requires really reaching out uh, to the countryside and encouraging people to participate, uh, to provide the information that becomes critically important to the development of the survey. Uh, it involves an analysis of the information uh, and putting it through modeling and, and uh, things of that nature to be able to reach the conclusions that are contained in the report. And there's some important data points that someone in my position will look at and those who make policy will examine to be able to determine how best for this department and for U.S. agriculture to proceed as a result of the survey results. For example, we continue to see an aging nature of our farming community. Uh, Every census, it ticks up a year or two. And now it's at 58.1. So to the young people, if you want to see what happens when you get in a career in agriculture, you can see me here, and then you can look at my picture over here, (laughs) and I'm remarkably aged. (laughs) But in reality, that's why you're here today. Because we recognize the importance of making the case to bright young people about the career opportunities and the chances that you all have to make a fundamental difference in agriculture and in food. We understand and appreciate that our department and the food and agriculture industry writ large has to reflect the America that it's going to serve. And that's why we've made a concerted effort with our next-gen program to reach out in a variety of areas to encourage the brightest and best to have an experience Uh, here at USDA, or to have an internship or a fellowship or a scholarship that makes it just a little bit easier, uh, that creates an awareness and a knowledge of what happens here at USDA. Uh, Before today, you may not have understood and appreciated the enormity of the data collection that takes place at USDA. Uh, This survey, uh, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes, looks at the amount of land that is in farming. And today is an interesting day because in addition to that being uh, launched, uh, our 
Economic Research Service, CRS, puts out a chart every day. And they uh, publish it, and, and I, I'm, I always look at it because it's a really interesting uh, feature of ERS. And today they are charting the productivity of American agriculture. And it is a remarkable story of how we have significantly increased productivity, a threefold increase since 1948, without a significant increase in inputs. In other words, the inputs in terms of labor and so forth are relatively the same, but the output is three times what it was. It's technology. It's science. Uh, it's the efficiency and the awareness of our farmers and ranchers of how to basically produce. It's an amazing story. And it's contained in documents like this, if you look for it. It's Agriculture Today. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James. The work in sustainability is quite new for the Greens Council. Carlos Suarez with the U.S. Grains Council manages the Council's sustainability program. Greens Council's focus obviously is on the international side of things. And so whereas sustainability has been an intrinsical part of farming and, and corn production in sorghum and barley as well in the U.S., uh, for Greens Council, sustainability was not an issue in which we engaged with our customers in the past. Uh, mostly because unlike other commodities, corn um, has not been under pressure because of particular problems within our supply chain the way other commodities have, like cocoa, palm oil, even soy has had issues in terms of deforestation in Brazil that you know spills over into U.S. production and, and requirements. So we didn't have that issue in corn, and uh, but our, our farmers, really our growers, recognize that more and more our buyers are asking about sustainability. How how is corn sustainable? And so there was a great story for us to tell. And so Grace Greens Council undertook that challenge of letting our customers know how it is that corn growers are sustainable. Some might be wondering, why even bother with the sustainability idea? Launch um, just a year ago. So our, our, our sustainability program is turning one year old, uh, this, this uh, event. Um, we launched two great tools to precisely accomplish this. One of them is called the Corn, uh, the, the Corn Sustainability Assurance Protocol, the CSAP. Uh, and what this document does, it's a compilation of all the regulations, laws, kind of like a floor, if you will, that allows us to engage with our international stakeholders and let them know how U.S. corn is sustainable at a general level. That's tool one. And then the second tool that we launched was a web platform that allows us to to use um, the, the volume of what we define as sustainable corn within that document and then provide a basic level of traceability to the shipments that leave the United States, U.S. origin, into international markets and this documentation helps our customers provide proof of an input that they can consider sustainable and make their claims around that. So uh, the tools uh, were launched one year ago. And so what we have accomplished is register users in over 20 countries. We already have more than 150 records of sustainability issued, covering over 1 million metric tons of corn and corn co-products. So we're very proud of that. Part of sustainability is profitability. 
today there's there's a global agenda with one particular concern in mind, uh, the effects of greenhouse gases and, and global warming, and that is driving a, a lot of initiatives uh, to embrace environmental sustainability. And, and that permeates media and messaging and consumers' awareness. And, and so consumers have become very much aware about the environment and various other issues uh, that they want to, you know, feel good about, right? And so supply chains respond. Obviously, there's a cost to all these things. And so there's a lot of dynamism in, in the field because we're trying – to do better, everybody's trying to do better. I like to think, uh, and and to the extent possible, you know, while while remaining profitable. So it, it, it's a great field to be working in, and and for us as Greens Council, it's 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 a great opportunity to be representing our producers with our stakeholders, with our supply chain, you know, uh, organizations and, and and folks that are telling us, look, I have this problem. I have to demonstrate how my products are sustainable. How how can we work together on that? It's Agriculture Today. This is Agriculture Today. It's absolutely critical, uh, especially when we're really trying to work on something collectively uh, to move uh, issues forward in the industry, uh, show our collective support uh, for making advancements in key areas. Ben Weinheimer is president and CEO of Texas Cattle Feeders. As example, this week, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the uh, animal disease traceability uh, policy proposal that several state affiliates kind of put out there ahead of the convention, uh, really trying to put that marker out there, you know, far down the road to have the industry look at, you know, what does implementation of a very robust animal disease traceability system look like uh, that would utilize uh, RFID or EID technology uh, associated readers. And then, you know, some specific focus, obviously, on making sure that when that day comes, uh, that the database that houses all that information is uh, privately held, non-government, uh, and industry managed. So, you know, we had uh, great discussions around that. Uh, we uh, came here with uh, some, uh, some, some good ideas uh, that uh, we got some feedback on. And then, uh, as uh, we do with uh, all these conventions, uh, we work in the hallways a lot with our other state affiliate uh, staff and leadership and really arrive at something that uh, we can get some overwhelming support for. And we were uh, quite successful in getting that done this week, uh, adopted a policy in the Cattle Health and Wellbeing Committee that uh, takes that next step of moving the already existing uh, animal disease traceability program for the adult cattle that move interstate, uh, which today have to have some form of permanent identification. And so this uh, policy uh, uh, puts support forward for moving that uh, permanent physical identification uh, to an EID tag. Um, so great progress, uh, moving things in the right direction. And what about LRP, Livestock Risk Protection? The Livestock Risk uh, Protection Program, you know, it's a, a program that's been around for lots of years. It's uh, set there idle uh, for, for a long time. Uh, but when RMA made some changes to that program here a few years ago, uh, it in increased the availability of that risk management tool uh, to all types and sizes of producers. Um, and it's one that the uh, producers uh, have uh, really come to and, and embraced uh, as an effective risk management tool. So that, uh, that said, there were some discussions here at this meeting. Uh, related to the potential uh, interaction or lack thereof of LRP and the CME. Um, 
some uh, some suggestions that there needed to be some uh, potentially some changes or additional evaluation of uh, of the interaction of those two risk management tools, uh, and, and and for the industry and and the respective agencies to look into that, and that's that's uh, where again where we landed here um, on a from a consensus building approach across the states uh, that builds the policy for NCBA, and that is uh, to let's not. Let's not get things out of order. Let's make sure that we really understand what the data tells us, uh, and and you know react to that to make an informed decision about changes that should be made. Uh, not not try to have some type of knee jerk reaction where you know we think there's things that need to be done, but if you're not exactly sure and you make those changes, uh, you may just be you know uh, chasing rabbit trails uh, that aren't going to result in uh, a, a good outcome. And and we want the, most importantly, we want to protect uh, the availability of the LRP risk management tools uh, to producers and uh, ensure that it uh, stays viable going forward. It's agriculture today. Ag News Now. Agriculture Today. You ask the question how many farms are there in the United States? Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack at USDA's Ag Outlook Forum. And the census of ag. And while we have a fairly liberal definition of what a farm constitutes for the purpose of this survey, if you sell more than $1,000 of product, you qualify as a farm. And there are big farms and small farms, but you qualify as a farm. And this survey makes an effort to try to quantify the number of farms in the U.S. It also makes an effort to try to quantify the amount of farmland that's in production. And the hope would be that we would continue to encourage people to get in and remain in the farming business and that we would be able to preserve our farmland. But survey after survey continues to show a decline in the number of farms and in the farmland. The amount of farm decline is significant. It's particularly significant in this survey. What you're going to find is, uh, I can talk about this now, yeah, it's the beauty of it. In 2017, when we did the survey, there were 2,042,220 farms. Today, the survey reports we have 1,900,487 farms. So doing a little quick math, that's 142,000 fewer farms in five years. In five years. The survey tells us that in 2017, we had almost, well, a little over 900 million acres of land and farming. Five years later, we have 880 million acres. So we've lost 20 million acres. I want to give you a sense of how many acres that is. That's every New England state, with the exception of Connecticut, in five years. I want to give you a sense of how many farms that is. I've been focusing on this issue for the last four or five months because I uh, ran across a report done by uh, Secretary of Agriculture Bob Berglund in 1981. And he was expressing concern about the direction of agriculture because we had changed the method of support, a direction of support for American agriculture. It was important for us to continue to increase productivity. Uh, and we moved away from a kind of a supply management system where uh, it was established during the New Deal to try to stabilize farm prices and farm income to a more market orientation, more uh, productivity-focused orientation. And American agriculture, as I mentioned, responded uh, beautifully, uh, did an amazing, tremendous job. 
But Secretary Berglund was concerned in 1981 as he was leaving this job about the impact on the number of farms and the impact on losing farms will have on small communities and rural places. He just issued a warning. Well, if you look at the number of farms that were in existence when he issued that warning and compare it to today, we've lost 535,000 farms. Now, that's every farm today in the following states. In North Dakota and South Dakota. In Minnesota and Wisconsin. In Illinois and Iowa. In Nebraska and Oklahoma and Missouri and Colorado. This survey, in addition to all the amazing work and data that it contains, is a wake-up call. This survey is essentially telling us, asking the critical question of whether as a country are we okay with losing that many farms? Are we okay with losing that much farmland? Or is there a better way? This is Agriculture Today. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James. So Guatemala is a a really important market for us. Ellen Zimmerman is Director of Industry Relations with the U.S. Grains Council, where their annual membership meeting and international marketing conference took place recently in Guatemala. We're celebrating 30 years uh, on the feed grains side uh, here in this market. And so we actually talked yesterday in our general session about uh, the importance of those 30 years of history that we have and the opportunity we have going forward. And then on the ethanol side, uh, not as much history here, but uh, a lot of opportunity going forward. And so we wanted to bring our members here to, to kind of get a firsthand look at the, that industry potential, both on the feed grains and on the ethanol side on why it's so important to get membership out of their comfort zone where buyers are. The U.S. Greens Council, you know, we're about, uh, you know, uh, building relationships and being that firsthand um, resource for our customers. And so being able to bring our members here to see that for themselves, uh, seeing for themselves what their dollars are going to contribute uh, firsthand is really, really valuable for them. And to, and to be a part of that is, is uh, a great opportunity for them as well as the council and just brings everyone uh, together kind of full circle moment, a mission moment, if you will. It's not only a great opportunity for board members to see other countries, but also to meet with staff. We bring our international staff from around the world. So we have full-time presence in more than 28 different countries. And so we bring all of those folks here to be present to talk to our members. So it's the International Marketing Conference because we're talking about all of those markets that we represent to our membership here this week. And so uh, this year we're in Guatemala City. Every other year we're we're picking somewhere around the world uh, to talk to our members internationally. Now, when it comes to the U.S. Grains Council representing barley, corn, sorghum, ethanol, and co-products, it's more than just commodity groups. So our membership is more than 170 different organizations, and you're exactly right. So that is going to be checkoff groups, growers associations that are more on the policy side. We have uh, farm bureaus, state entities that are representing the agriculture department of that state. We have um, uh, those agribusinesses, ethanol plants. Um, the seed companies, the uh, equipment manufacturers, we really run the gamut, traders, 
um, everything. Anyone who's touching the uh, ethanol export, the feed grain exports from the seed all the way till it that hits the uh, the customer or the end user, they're represented in our membership, and that's a really important component of how we work uh, because we represent that really strong voice when we're talking to our international customers. And though members contribute, those funds are actually matched by the government. All of our membership dollars, we call those our first dollars because they're a really important piece of how we are able to uh, really amplify uh, those efforts through our application to USDA, uh, through the market access program and the foreign market development program, which are administered through the Farm Bill. We also have a new program we're taking advantage of, the Regional Agriculture uh, Promotion Program, or RAP as we're calling it, and that allows us to really um, get a huge ROI for our membership dollars. Uh, RAP alone is a 10 to 1 uh, ROI immediately, and MAP and FMD usually have a 24 to 1 ROI. And so it's a great opportunity uh, to do a lot of good work when you invest in the U.S. Grains Council. Ellen Zimmerman, U.S. Grains Council. It's Agriculture Today. This is Agriculture Today. USDA, as you know, the paper's already out forecasting you know, 7% increase, 75 in planted area. Uh, prices are you know, significantly better than, than a year ago, and they've, they've come up you know, nicely. Speaking in the Cotton Outlook at USDA's annual Ag Outlook Forum, USDA fiber analyst Stephen McDonald. This draft starts in November, and that's Valentine's Day. Um, so when the cotton grower survey you know, was, was out, I mean, it's been a, a big change since then. So it's a, these estimates are not inconsistent, and who knows, we'll see the Cotton Council this weekend, see what they have to say about this. The other thing that's different is the weather has, all, has been a lot better. I mean, El Nino didn't, didn't really pour on the rain like we might, you might have expected, but Texas looks a lot better. That's kind of a sad little problem possibly there in the, in the Delta. Um, but... We focus a lot more um, for weather variability on West Texas. So we're forecasting, USDA is forecasting abandonment at 24%. Now, I say we always use normal weather, and this is abandonment that is um, smaller than the average and smaller than the median over the last 10 years. And I would argue that, well, on the other hand, though, we actually do have weather to date, which has been not bad. And so we are, we are forecasting more abandonment than someone might if they just use this particular variable. So what we have is, even though we only have an 8% increase in planted area, we've got a 30-something percent increase in, in harvested area, with five-year average yields regionally, we get a nice bump in our, in our production, you know, up uh, almost 30%. So now that we can't very well export cotton we don't have. So since we have it, that's one reason why we'll be able to export it. But then again, we can't export it if no one will buy it. We have world import demand rising with world consumption rising, so some of those importing countries that haven't been so great this year you know, will, will, will go up. China's imports will go down, but 10 million bales is not bad. You know, some of the increase in imports we see this year is going into bonded warehouses, and it'll come out next year. It's been, and it'll enter spinning, and it'll, they won't be buying as much, but they'll actually be consuming at least as much imported cotton. Um, and now this, this is the forecast, and so... We are, you know, we, you saw all the forecasts we have for our competitor crops, and the U.S. crop is growing much more than they are. If, if uh, their crops grow more, you know, that'll be harder. If they grow less, the U.S. will do better. So here we are with the U.S., lower beginning stocks, but we can get our, we get our supplies up nicely. 
and we get a good a good increase in our um, in our exports and a nice increase in our ending stocks. And so, though the at a 20 23% stocks to use, I mean we're still just in the what I would consider the realm of stocks to use, where it's not really anything to worry about. And uh, we're forecasting the, the price to average 80 cents next year. And then just just to conclude. Um, you know, it's been very interesting to watch the U.S. and Brazilian exports converge, and and it's still not over. I mean, I don't. You know, there was a time it seemed, I seemed, it seemed safe that maybe Brazil was going to pass us. And uh, this is U.S. Usually, we don't present at this conference any breakout of other countries, but it, it's just an interesting year. And uh, so, at least this one time, we just presented what we what it, it currently looks like we might have on the uh, competitor exports, and that the U.S. will still be uh, exporting more than Brazil. Um, we don't have a big track record on publishing forecasts for exports this time of year. So, so, and here is a part of the presentation of like why we might be wrong. It's like the commercial for the new wonder drug where the guy says, you know, uh, do not take USDA forecasts if you're allergic to USDA forecasts. Consult your financial planner before ingesting USDA forecasts. And so the, the bottom line is anything can happen. And when, when it does happen, USDA will be here to change its forecast for you. It's agriculture today. You're listening to Agriculture Today. It's necessary for this country and its defense to continue to encourage small-town viability. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack on the census of ag. Because a disproportionate number of our military come from those small towns. And the reason they do, I believe, is that there's an ethic and there's a value system in those small towns by people who work the land, who understand intuitively that you can't keep taking from the land, you have to give something back. You have to replenish it from time to time. And those who grow up around that value system understand and appreciate a country that provides enormous freedom and liberty requires us to give something back as well. And so many, many young people go into service. Many, many young people from the small towns participate in volunteer service. They understand the sense of community. So this survey isn't just about agriculture. It's a map. It's a, it's a guide to a better and more hopeful future. 